Hey Angel Baby, welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon. And I'm the other host, Angel. And this is our twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. Though last night I had a dream where everything made sense. Tell me, I'm on bated breath. I actually didn't have a dream about that. Oh. So. But you did have a lot of dreams last night. I did have a lot of dreams last night, though now at this point, because it's toward the end of the day, I don't know if I really remember them. That's why you got to write them down. I know. I used to be really good at it, and then I just stopped. But... From a shamanic perspective, dreams are gifts given to us from the spirits, and they have messages and power, and if you don't write them down, then you're not able to absorb the gifts. Uh, well, before we get lost in dreamland, should we introduce ourselves to the gazers? Yes. Who are you? I am Brandon Alter. I am a healer and a tarot reader and a teacher of tarot and shamanic skills. And I'm also a writer and a performer. And you, my love, who are you? Uh, I'm Angel Lopez, and I am a writer and a producer of films. And I am an astrologer. And we're married. And we are married people. Yes. Yeah, we're husbands. Husbands. Mm-hmm. And we are very excited because we have a really beautiful spirit talk with Noah Reich and Dave Maldonado. They are the founders and creators of Classroom of Compassion, a nonprofit which we will deep dive into and learn all about. Uh but before we get into anything else, we want to talk about our next episode because it's going to be the last one of the year. And we want to do something kind of fun and special for the holidays. So what we thought is we would love to give away a couple readings. Yeah, we're each going to give away a reading. Angel will give out an astrology reading and I will give out a tarot reading. And the way you enter for a free reading is to leave us a review. Yes. And some of you have already left some really amazing reviews, and we're going to read all of those reviews. I've marked them, so you will already get read on the air. Uh, and because you've already written those reviews, you will already be uh, eligible to enter into this. So... Just so we know who you are, it would be good for you to screenshot it and send it to us. So you can either send it to us over DM on our Instagram, or you can email it to us at thespiritualgaze at gmail.com. But if you are writing a new one, also please do the same thing. Write it, screenshot it, and then send it to us so that we know who you are and yeah, who wrote it. because sometimes y'all leave like really cute little names on your reviews, but we have no idea who that is. So we wouldn't even know how to give you your free reading, even if you're the one selected to win. Yeah. So if you can get your reviews in by Friday, December 20th, and again, send in your acknowledgement that you wrote that review, then you will be entered and we will randomly pick two winners. Merry Christmas. It's a spiritual gaze Happy contest. Hanukkah. <laughs> Joyous Kwanzaa. Uh, Top of the morning to you. <laughs> all right. Top we'll, of the morning. We're not there yet. Calm can't we, down. Can't we just slide into a dose of reality? No, let's do Top a little of the bit morning. of a check-in, babe. Ay, ve, Samir. 
All right. Well, look, you're checking in be 10 seconds. How are you? I'm fine. I actually am fine. I'm doing really well. I'm embracing the winter, which is the season for hibernation. So I'm eating lots of carbohydrates and I'm just taking my time to process the year that has happened and to uh, absorb it and to integrate it. And I'm just enjoying the cold and the wet and taking it easy and giving myself permission to take it easy. So I'm doing pretty well. That's awesome, baby. I'm so happy. How are you? And I've sensed that in you. Thank you. So it's enjoyable for me as well. I bet it is. But I'm doing well also. Uh, I guess it's like, you know, all this Jupiter moving into Capricorn. I'm just feeling like the forward momentum. Your movie got into Sundance. Yeah, everyone. I'm really excited. Uh, the movie Bad Hair uh, that I produced that one of our past guests and our music extraordinaire Justin Simeon wrote and directed. Uh, it got into the Sundance Film Festival. So next month we'll be going up to Park City to premiere this movie. So I cannot wait. I'm super excited. And if you're in Park City, Gazers, hit us up. We'll both be there. I'll be there for a couple of days, and Angel will be there for more than a couple of days. Yeah. So if, yeah, you're going to be around, you should come and see the movie. <laughs> we could have like a little spiritual gay Sundance meetup. How amazing Ooh, would that be? That'd be so fun. Um, well, yeah, definitely let us know. Um, but yeah, no, doing really, really well. And um, yeah, also looking to embrace the winter. So going to take the rest of December and that first half of January to just turn within and like get fucking spiritual as fuck. Top of the morning to you. All right. We're going <laughs> to, because Brandon really wants to, we are going to transition now into a segment we know as Dose, Dose of, of Reality. reality. So the reason I keep saying Top of the morning to ya is because a couple of years ago when the Real Housewives of Orange County went to Ireland, mm -hmm. Shannon Bador, all she knew was just to say like, top of the morning to ya. And I just keep thinking about that because the Real Housewives of Orange County are currently on another of their insane trips. This one to Miami and Key West and Shannon Bador is of course in rare form as always. So is it even rare form if you're always in rare form? No. But I, for some reason, it just keeps popping into my head, just the way she would say, like, top of the morning to you. And just, so he keeps saying it to uh, me. And noche. But it's adorable and very funny. Top of the morning to you. <laughs> okay. We got it. But yeah, as Brandon said, the OC ladies have been on what I feel is, like, a very, like, epic vacation in the tradition, though, of like the epic vacations that occur on the Housewives franchise. Like we're talking like in fucking tune with like when New York went to Scary Island or, you know, for me, when Beverly Hills went to Puerto Rico. It's just a complete shit show. <laughs> and what more do you want than that? Out of your housewives, not much. Oh, it's a delight. And it's also been a very long trip. Like, I don't know how many episodes they're going to milk this trip into, but as far as I'm concerned, they should just keep the Real Housewives of Orange County in Florida for the yeah. rest of the season. Totally. They're hysterical. It's like a whole all-out war between, like, Kelly Dodd and Tamra and, uh, and Vicky Gumbelson. 
I don't know what else to say about these women, except it's like when I was watching Succession and every episode, my alliance would change to somebody else. And with the Housewives this season, it's like I can't really root for anybody anymore because they're all so toxic and vicious and disgusting. And yet every episode, I'm like, oh, I'm falling in love with you again. Or, oh, I'm falling in love with you again. It's actually a really great practice in learning how to love someone, even though they're a piece of trash. Oh, I mean, I will always love Emily, even though she has a terrible, she's made a terrible choice in a husband. He Um, didn't pass the bar. I know. The bar results were just released and that man did not pass the bar for like the fourth time. I mean, he literally moved out of their house so that he could study. In quotation marks, what else was he doing? Thank you. I'm like, yeah, there was no studying going on. That man was just like ordering pizzas and drinking and watching like, I don't want to know. Or calling, ordering something more than a pizza. Okay, I don't want to get that dark. All right. That's our mini dose of reality because we really have to slide into this gorgeous spirit talk with Noah and Dave who brought so much radiance and vulnerability and you'll feel the soul of these boys in the conversation that we had. And I don't think there's any need to tee it up more than that. So without further ado, please get ready for this episode's Spirit Talk! So Angel and I are kind of giddy, actually, to have Noah and Dave here in the spirit room. Uh, We love these boys, and we think you guys are too. Noah and Dave, they are uh, compassion street artists, or street artists of compassion. We we take compassion street artists, compassion artists, or just compassionate beings are stretching to be uh, in some way. And they have this incredible nonprofit called Classroom of Compassion, which we're actually going to like deep dive into later on in the conversation. Um, and they are also, uh, they are a couple. So Angel and I are also excited to have another queer couple here in the spirit room. So let me just say welcome to the spirit room. Welcome, guys. Yes, it literally feels like the craft in here. <laughs> like we're, we're <laughs> totally. totally in each corner. Like this is a special moment. Yeah. And and just thank you both for for having us. I think uh, we, we kind of owe so much of uh, kind of the, the, the love that we feel so often. We accredit the two of you as kind of providing so many of those tools along the way. And so we've been like so giddy just to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Like we consider both of you just teachers in so many ways, friends and like lighthouses for us. So we love you both. Oh my gosh. Oh, thank well, you. Thank you. Well, ditto. <laughs> Obviously. I mean, I've, I feel like the work that you both do is so inspiring and um, yeah, I look at it and I'm like, I got to step my pussy up. Okay. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, these boys are literally out in the streets Yeah, with the children. Literally it's out incredible. in the streets. Yeah. Um, but well, yeah, but I definitely want to deep dive into sort of the work you do. But I, I would just love to start off by kind of just understanding and sharing the story of how Noah and Dave came to be Noah and Dave. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, Noah and Dave actually met uh, 
on the original gay dating app, which was MySpace. Yeah, uh, we have always been on each other's top eight. Um, but... <laughs> do you remember your song? Like, oh, what? do we? <laughs> oh, I got like playlists on playlists. It was real. It was like I don't know who who sings it, but it was Wiggle It, and it was like Wiggle, Wiggle It. Oh yeah, it was like that. That was my. I think I was going through a lot of like internalized like homophobia. So I was like, what are like the roughest? Uh, like what what has like that edge? And it was, yeah, it was never it was never like blasting Britney or Christina, which now definitely would be. Um, but yeah, we met on MySpace. Um, we actually are kind of, in a sense, high school sweethearts. Um, when I graduated from high school, uh, Noah transferred in as a junior. So we would have been at the same high school at the same time. Um, and luckily, we shared a lot of mutual best friends. Um, and that's where like that initial reach out came on MySpace. I got that friend request. I got that message. I got real excited when it dinged um, and it was Noah reaching out saying like, hey, we have a lot of mutual friends together. Like, let's hang out, um, which was really, really like to think about it now is such like a, a beautiful thing because back then meeting a complete stranger for the first time um, and him going like, hey, like, let's meet up with like my friends and like that'll be like our first meetup to completely just sit into this friend circle and feel so loved and so seen on the first go around i was like oh yeah this is this is this is it but it, and it was like it was like a city walk like we the first it wasn't a first date because i didn't know dave was gay like i just thought he was you were hoping so sweet <laughs> <laughs> but his song choices really threw me off <laughs> but it, it was a thing where i i didn't know you were gay but i knew that i really wanted I really wanted to impress you. <laughs> and so I remember getting on the bull at Saddle Ranch. Uh, <laughs> like we went to go see Cloverfield. We were in the front row, like that opening night. And that was a whole experience in itself. But it was like, I don't want to look scared. or I don't, like, I, I wanted to really be that person that was holding everything together. So I think I brought all that nervous energy that you would get from a date. But not knowing it was a date, I just thought we were a friend. You were I a friend. I got motion sickness for you, bro. Like, <laughs> it was love from the beginning, Aww. front row. <laughs> yeah. And were you out? Th- were you both out at that point? Um, I feel like I was out um, to at that time. At that time, like my circle of friends, um, because we had completely crossed paths and it was com- two completely different worlds. Um, I had just come out to like my my group of friends, um, and I was I, I was pretty out. And I was out and about. Um, and I definitely knew gay. Noah was gay. Um, and I was like, okay, this like cute, <laughs> like very, very cute Middle Eastern boy. And he like the, the, like the beautiful thing that I really, really fell in love about Noah was how incredibly kind he was. I remember he was like, the first thing that I'll do to someone I just meet is I will buy them food and see how like they react. Um, and I think that reaction is like the more so I think he was trying to say like, I want to like see how like they light up because giving people joy was I feel like at that time like one of the big things that kept you going. Yeah. Aww. And I wasn't I don't I wasn't out at all in my head like in terms of how I was carrying myself. Um so I think that it was a lot of that feeling of like I always feel like I was very visible. So if there was queer people around there that like everyone else knew, but I don't think I knew that I was publicly coming off in that sort of way. And so I couldn't have been like falling 
deeper and deeper into that space in a certain way. And so I'm one of those people that like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to make Dave uncomfortable. So that was like the whole thing of, I don't even want to ask if you're gay because I don't want to put you in that uncomfortable situation at that point. And then we ended up finding out like a few months later from uh, some text messages back and forth, MySpace comments back and forth, bulletins, like where I would, it was that era where people were writing like 150 questions as like a MySpace bulletin. Like, oh, uh-huh. what's your favorite color? What is, like, what's your deepest fear? And it would get like progressively into this like, <laughs> analysis of that person and so i remember like reading through your myspace bulletins or this or that just for any confirmation of that and then it was kind of uh, dave going like a like hello after a few months and then that was almost 12 years ago now um and so we've been like chugging along since and it's felt like we've been in the front row of Cloverfields, <laughs> like often. And then we always find kind of this beautiful space or beautiful view where we see kind of the path we've been on or the lessons we've learned along the way. So it's been kind of this like this like buddy comedy <laughs> relationship where where we go to each other for so much and we've had to see each other navigate through so much that I think even that process of me coming out like I needed a support system like Dave or like even that validation in that sort of way because I would have probably stayed in the closet forever had Mm. you not responded to that MySpace bulletin so I love you Mm -hmm. (laughs) well you know 12 years is a Jupiter cycle Mm. takes Jupiter 12 13 years to go around the whole zodiac so interesting that you guys are almost celebrating like a Jupiter return in a way. Mm-hmm. And so the relationship now after 12 years, it's like it moves to a whole new spiral. Yeah, like a leveling up of abundance and personal growth as a couple. So 12 years together, you both are like such a soulful, like I just feel the spiritual nature of your energy off of everything that you do. And honestly, just like... Being in your guys' presence that always kind of comes with this very sort of like soulful, soft space. Like when you all met, were you already kind of like soulful, spiritually <laughs> people? I feel like for me, so much of kind of the space that I currently occupy and the space that I uh, am in transit with with Noah really came from that motherly abundance from from my mom growing up. Um, I think a lot of, I think, I, I mean, I'm gonna say it with pride, I, I wanna say that one of the strongest qualities about me is that I'm a kind person, and I, I really hold that to a, a really high standard because I want to be able to just uphold the dignity that my mom like navigated through her whole whole life to get to where she's at now. And I think it's that same intersection of where I believe I get my power from is the thing that Noah has helped me the most uh, spiritually at this current portion of my life. Um, Over the past couple of years, my home life has gotten a little little chaotic. um, And I think really 
the the biggest thing that I've been able to cultivate in this relationship is really just mindfulness. Um, mindfulness of, you know, myself and mindfulness of like how big a situation actually is. Um, that way I can meet it with compassion as opposed to like really, really getting destructive, which was a path that seemed like it was about to take its course um, before meeting Noah. And I think we played that role for each other to this day. Like it's, I think for, for us, there's been kind of almost like a Lemony Snicket's a series of unfortunate events Mm -hmm. that kind of breaks you open so much that you have nowhere to go but to compassion and, and how you direct it towards yourself. And so I think like when I think about each of our journeys is they, the, we come from kind of these lineages of trauma with each of our families. And there's been so many stages where we've been trying to kind of break those cycles in so many ways. But I, I think of kind of that, that needing to find a silver lining or find that other breath or to find that, that space to kind of just continue through came from like a survival tactic I think for me when I was a kid on my eighth birthday my brother and I were robbed at knife point we were at a kind of this park that was a few blocks away from our home and it was a thing where we were robbed because my brother had a brand new pair of Michael Jordan shoes Mm. that my mom gifted him uh, for my birthday she would kind of gift everyone it was like the sense of everyone should be able to celebrate or feel that emotion mm-hmm. or that space and so that goes back to the dave thing of even that first night we met of like a meal or sharing a meal or sharing an encounter it's always kind of to extend this celebratory nature but i think where it came from with my mom was she was born in a concentration camp she was conceived uh uh, during kind of the darkest point of history, World War II, um, my grandparents were in the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp, and in 1945 they conceived her. And it was a thing after kind of being relocated uh, throughout Europe for a few years, they finally came to America. And I think my mom had to essentially like uh, raise her parents and her younger brothers as like, a little kid uh, because they didn't know how to adapt to American life or our norms or our things. And so there's always been kind of this tradition in my family or that I found from my mom that comes from like, well, we have to find the celebration. We have to find uh, the thing that we can savor. Um, And that's kind of been kind of the fuel, I think, in my family to continue going. And I think going back to the birthday instance, that was an experience of like that celebration or that nature also being a source of trauma and me being at the center of that experience. And so after my brother was robbed, chased after the person, I chased after him and he ended up getting hit by a car right in front of me. Mm-hmm. And so it started being kind of this experience of like stacked trauma that was kind of unfolding in this 
one uh, space. And I just remember thinking that I had lost my brother in that moment. We were there to celebrate me. Uh, and this kind of thing of like, I wasn't the one that hit my brother, but I was the reason that he was there. And so that's like what my eight-year-old mind came up with in that moment. And what I think about so often is while that was unfolding and I was seeing this all happen and I was by myself, I just remember there was uh, like this transient man that was sitting like on a bus bench right there and he just hugged me. Mm. And I don't know what he looks like and like none of couldn't describe this person. But just that feeling of being held in a moment where I thought that I had lost my best friend. I had lost everything. Um, And so I think there's been kind of that fight to always find that silver lining, that, that lesson. But also I think so much of what we do in our work with one another, the space that we try and set, is that same feeling of that hug that even in our most challenging of moments when when we feel like we could have lost everything when we may have really felt like we've lost everything that we're still worthy of that space to even feel that heartbreak that pain so yeah that's beautiful thank you for sharing that do y'all ever get in fights Oh, we you get do. It. We get okay. good fights. <laughs> <laughs> we got the receipts already in the binder. Like. <laughs> well, I think couples have to know how to fight too, right? Yeah. Like that's actually the litmus test for yeah. how healthy a relationship is. And that's friendships too, right? Like if you can fight with a friend, then you've got a strong friendship there. But how is sometimes the most important part of it. Yes. And, and I think that's like one of the things I remember hearing Michelle Obama talk about mm-hmm. with Barack a couple years ago is like they've learned to fight smarter. Mm. <laughs> like that that element of like, there's just, I think it, you're so intimately connected with someone that you also have uh, kind of the, the largest access to, to cause the most damage within seconds with it. And, we have like the fierce timing of drag queens sometimes <laughs> in those fights. Right. <laughs> and so I think uh, after enough times of knowing how we have to clean up and really kind of help, I think that's where we've, we've learned to, to be more responsible when we can with our words or actions, but definitely fight. Yeah. I think, I, I think the, the, one of the, the biggest things that happens for us because we're so close is, I'm so sure of whatever happens between us, like something not being able to break the bond that we have. So a lot of the deepest pains and of the deepest projections, I will sometimes just throw at him in the middle of like a fight or an anger. And it's, 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 he's been really kind and kind is probably not the right word. Uh, he's <laughs> been really patient with me um, during that whole process to, instead of, you know, taking it in, um, being a sponge to it, really just being a mirror to me um, during those times. And I think with self-compassion, um, it's it's really, really been able to soften a lot of these 
uh, like residual feelings that you get after the fight of like, of the shame of the, like, why did I go there? Of the, it's really just understanding like, well, I wasn't in my best spot. Like, yeah, well, no. And I think the thing that you reminded me of baby is we have, uh, one of our mothers and our mentors, Eleuthera Lish, like, I think she, one of the breakthroughs that she taught us that I think we brought to our relationship and then just all interactions is like that idea of like so often when we're in pain, we can become so prone to punish. Mm -hmm. And and I think that I felt so guilty for so long of like feeling those like pings of like, you know, I get my niece could accidentally step on my foot and you just want to like unload anger like in that moment, like these these things where it's not about those feelings arising as much as. I think the equation that Luther gave us was that idea of how when that feeling to punish comes up, how we soothe, how we how we hold, how how uh, we care in those moments. And I think that's been one of those things where we found kind of that even rewriting kind of internally so often is like you have that feeling, you acknowledge it. and And I think that ability to even soothe one another or soothe ourselves has been kind of a beautiful practice that, mm. that we've had in our lives and in our artwork. Well, it makes so much sense that you all work in like the world of compassion. It seems like you've learned that so much from each other and being in this relationship. And it's interesting. And I want to say probably unusual. <laughs> I think that you two are two gay men who have been in relationship pretty much your whole adult lives. Whereas I think a lot of like gay experience or just, you know, sort of queer experience is to sort of have to suffer in silence, quote, you know, in quote, suffer in silence around finding someone to accept them. I'm just curious from a relationship standpoint, when you all were first entering into relationship, was it challenging to really give yourselves over to being in relationship or was it easy to kind of fall into where you all have, have grown into? Well, it, it's, it, it, I mean, it wasn't work if that's, I mean, it's been such, I think in the beginning I had just turned, ooh, 19 when I met you or nineteen twenty, um and I you know I had gone through my coming out story I had you know gotten my fake ID I had gone out to the clubs I had gotten that out of my system and so I some oats. yeah <laughs> 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 I let my hair down uh-huh. you know you know um and I found that 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 world was not safe to me um I f- felt myself you know I felt those those really negative self emotions uh taking over i felt very self-conscious i felt very unseen i felt very uh i felt very fragile i feel like i've always been a really sensitive person um and so when i found when i met noah not only was it like oh dope i have a cool like new friend which was like i probably had like three friends at that time um it was uh a natural I don't know. It was like a natural evolution. There was, there was, I, there was no, I didn't doubt anything. Um, and I don't doubt anything at this point, which makes me, I feel so privileged to say that just as a gay man, a gay man of color, 
a gay man in 2019 to say like I found my soulmate. I'm, I'm kind of proud to say that that exists. Oh, I love you so much. <laughs> um, that's so beautiful to to hear, and I think I think the the place we got right now, or the the place that we're at right now, that feels really powerful or feels really good, is the 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 not doubting one another in those kind of feelings where you're like you feel like you've abandoned all hope, like the, those those kind of really really kind of dark uh, spaces. And I think that's where we're working to like trying to communicate with one another um, in the spaces is that it's, I think being human is, it's just so messy. It is so messy. And then being in a relationship with another person is so messy. And I think for me, like when we first started dating, it was kind of that like, like a lot of that feeling of it felt too good to be true or there's going to be like some portion of this that's like the the real thing that I have to that is going to be the reckoning or something's going to come out of the the closet for me or something that I've been holding on to and I think it it's been this thing of like we've kind of grown together in our adult lives uh through um our spiritual journeys, our creative journeys, our who do we want to be? What's the kind of uh, space that we want to create for those around us, for our community, for those that we love? And I think that all comes with a lot of just messiness and doubt and like all of those things rise up daily and hourly and 20 minutes before recording and this or that and I think it's that thing of like we just work to be to kind of pause as much as we can and and I think one of the things that I know that I've been asking and that that will kind of utilize is like is my trauma telling this part of the story right now is this pain or this isolation that I'm feeling telling this part of the story and I think when it comes to the two of us uh even though we're so closely connected together, if one of us is in a space uh, where I I can fall into like episodes, uh, PTSD episodes where I'll dissociate. And I think for me, Dave has been kind of a person that's taught me that in that moment where I can be an eight-year-old in an intersection thinking like the whole world is coming down that even in that space like it's okay to just be hurting in that moment and so there's been kind of this active language where there's so much that we we kind of have brought with one another our baggage our family's baggage our uh, grandparents or ancestors baggage the baggage of the queer community of the kind of queer identities that we've adopted all these different things and it's been interesting to kind of go through that Marie Kondo process together <laughs> with that baggage but we always work to kind of build in these very specific portions of our individual practices and we think of kind of this Avengers model of when we come together, 
what can that look like? If we're taking care of ourselves in such a powerful way, if we're if we're working to try and show ourselves that compassion, that those things that we try and do for one another or for others, what does it look like when we come together in that space? And so that's been kind of the current work that we've really been trying to do. I think that's a perfect, this is a perfect opportunity to let's talk about the work you all do. Um, how did Classroom of Compassion come to be? Yeah, for our listeners, if you could maybe just like paint a picture for them, because some of them might be coming to your work for the first time. And I think if you could give them a sense of what it really is that you do as these compassionate street artists. Yes. Um, so Dave and I uh, have kind of been working on this project for the past two years. That's essentially been traveling the country with a mantra of, I hope you know how loved you are. And it's something for us that that began uh, Pride 2018 in L.A. And it was kind of this uh, week that we were going into where, you know, after several years of this administration, after kind of that bombardment of headlines, breaking news, these things, is it kept triggering Dave and I to a point where even understanding who we were or things that we were interested in, like it was literally just kind of really breaking us down in these ways where it was challenging to read what was happening at the border. It's still challenging to even think about what's happening at the border, let alone around the country. And so I think for Dave and I, uh, when it came to Pride 2018, it was this thing where we had been thinking so much about the Pulse nightclub shooting. And as a queer person, I just think that there was this kind of profound shift within me that took place after Pulse. It was kind of like, I think so many people from our community have talked about the AIDS epidemic. Uh, I grew up in families talking about the camps, like these communities that had uh, these uh, profound experiences with trauma, with pain, with loss. Um, and I think I could always hear those stories, but that idea of really understanding what that pain felt like that people talked about when it came to losing someone whose life was just getting started. And so I think when that tragedy happened and the 49 names came out and we saw how our community came together to process in a way that it felt like we had no choice but to come to the streets in those moments, to cry with one another, to acknowledge the, the profound loss that we had all just experienced. And I remember in those moments, like thinking like, I never wanna forget this pain. Like it hurts so badly, but forgetting this pain, I fear will, it will make me forget why I choose to fight, why I have no choice to fight. And so um, as we were coming to Pride in 2018, it was the two-year anniversary of Pulse. 
uh, that weekend. And just as we were coming to the week, it was kind of this like, almost like this like recognition of like, we had forgotten. Mm. We had uh, put away that pain. We had stored it away. And as we kind of stored it away, the story shifted in some way for us. And so I think as we were coming to that week, it was this time where it felt like there was all these stories that were just breaking our heart, our community's heart and the country's heart. I think that week, um, Kate Spade's death was announced that Tuesday. The Supreme Court just uh, announced in favor of the Masterpiece Cake Shop. Um, And then that Friday, Anthony Bourdain had passed away. And so this thing of just really feeling like everywhere you looked, these lighthouses were going out. Uh, These people that really were like teachers that we were looking up to felt like it was too much. And so I think for us, it came to like, how do we tell people in that moment? Like, I hope you know how loved you are. How do we connect with our community? Um, Growing up kind of hating ourselves in the way that we did at certain points, really challenging the most beautiful parts of us, hiding them away at so many places. How do we kind of, if we were to just go out in a corner this one day and just let one person know, I hope you know how loved you are, then that in Judaism, I would say like that's that would be our mitzvah, would just like that one act, mm-hmm. and it was a thing where we went out there that Friday, and Dave had created this gorgeous like this massive, uh, pride flag assembled, uh, from different kind of baby blankies, and it had these big balloon letters saying I hope you know how loved you are. And that Friday night, we went to the corner of, was it Santa Monica and... Santa Monica and San Vicente. And like unexpectedly, it was the beginning of, of Pride, but it, it was also, um, we didn't know there was a thing called Dyke March. Um, and we stood there with our flags. And in that moment, we felt so vulnerable standing. Mm-hmm. Like we were at Pride. We were just standing with this giant like eight foot hand sewn flag with like no agency just meekly in the corner and then as we saw how deeply it started to resonate with people like that became such uh such an alleviation to uh so much of like the empathic pains that we had been feeling at that point and really gave like an action verb um to some of that like those really really like sticky feelings that had just built up and as Noah was saying, like we had forgotten about pulse, and then in doing that meditation and doing that practice, we invited all forty-nine names into our home. We we spent time with each person. We read their story. If they were artists, we we took their art in. Um, if they were songwriters, we listened to their songs. We really just wanted to bring them to the table with us, um, and really, really honor everyone's everyone's story that was kind of the weekend that that kind of we we started off in the streets and then what we've really kind of found since is we've really kind of traveled 
across the country following that that intersection of trauma, that intersection of pain. So many of our communities um, are being so are being targeted in this moment. Um, and I think our hope in all that we do is how we just kind of show up in those kind of moments of tremendous suffering. And so what that's looked like is we have a mass gun violence epidemic in this country. We had become so numb to the stacking of that pain that we just started looking away. And so a lot of our practice has been how we intentionally work to learn the stories of those that are being lost, um, how we make that space, how we honor their life, how we acknowledge that that person lived, that that person was here, and how we also kind of make space for that person's family, their their community, um, and kind of that, that space that healing takes and that kind of limitless, boundless space that we need to heal over time or over a lifetime. A lot of our practice stems from a loving kindness meditation. And the thing with a loving kindness meditation is a lot of times you can just do it silently. And so you can literally pass someone and just say, I hope you have a beautiful day or I hope you feel safe today. And so this idea of, I think it's changed even how we've navigated through our families, our communities, our country, um, but in so many ways, our, ourselves and with one another as well. It's so beautiful. And when I hear you talk about it in this way, from a shamanic perspective, what you guys really do is you create these altars mm, yeah. that facilitate group healing. You know, like I work with people one-on-one -on -one to do healing work, but the way that you guys go out there and you just hold space on such a major scale is really incredible and kind of mind-boggling and that it comes from your own deep need to find healing and mirroring for yourself. And it just makes me think that always and forever our capacity to hold space for darkness is what informs our capacity to hold space for light because the two of you come in here and you are lighthouses. You are, like you shine. But I also know personally, like the dark nights of the soul, you both have like fully thrown yourself into. And they're not separate. They're deeply interwoven. Yes. And, and I think that's something that we learned from y'all so often <laughs> no, uh, but like but truly in in terms of like i think that space for the messiness that we don't have to to wait to heal necessarily we have to be responsible with with our pain but we don't necessarily have to wait um to to reach out and i think one of the things uh that that we've been reflecting on um this from kristen neff uh, who does a lot of self-compassion work is this idea that like compassion is a nourishing emotion. It, it's an illuminating emotion. It's an, a restorative emotion. And so it's this interesting thing where so often we can think of any of these practices or spaces, or how do you send a text message to a friend that's just lost their mother? these things that we have to navigate uh, 
not only on our our kind of timelines, our you know any news channel we we look at, but th- this thing of like we're seeing our friends go through tremendous pain as well, and so often I think I was finding myself in that feeling of like freezing, and and kind of the fight or flight was like. I'm like, I got my Southwest smiles. Mm-hmm. I might get on that flight. Like, <laughs> I got a companion pass. Baby, do you want to come with me? Um, and I think it's that thing of like, what happened when the storm was coming? If we stayed to make sure that the people that were there, that that there was someone that had their back or that would stand beside them. And I think as we been on this journey as we've been doing our our work we check in with one another throughout the whole process um and and i think that's been kind of a powerful thing that then comes back to all aspects of our relationship as well of of just kind of checking in grounding ourselves and kind of really understanding like the offering or the intention of kind of the the space that that we're hoping to create. Yeah. So for those of our listeners who don't necessarily have any idea like what self-compassion looks like or loving kindness looks like or how to even begin to engage with that in their day-to-day life, what's just like one thing each of you would suggest that somebody could do um, that's like practical and that doesn't require like a bunch of reading or, you know, what what are the... What are the tools? Um, I think more so for self-compassion. Um, I think a lot of us, or I, I, my projection of it was like, I was a selfish thing. I didn't want to put myself first before the suffering of anybody else. Um, and I found that the easiest tool for me to remember self-compassion is the uh, put your oxygen mask on before putting it on the person next to you or if you have a kid. It really is, I it, and it really hasn't been until past couple of weeks, is like you really have to keep that space clean for yourself in order to be able to hold and continue holding that space for other people. And there's nothing selfish about that. It's probably the most selfless thing you can do. Um, and self-compassion really is like being okay with whatever state you're in, whatever state of suffering you're in, um, and know that you are not the cause of your suffering and to just, you know, chill, take a second, take a breath. You're good. Um, and yeah. Our, our simple way of, of kind of talking about self-compassion is it's, it's how do you talk to yourself in the way that you would talk to a friend? And so mm. it's really kind of that art form of beginning to provide yourself with that same intentional space that you would for a friend that may be going through it. And so when you dive into that, I think Dave and I have found that, you know, there are certain things that when I'm going through it, I know these are the things that I want. I want to create these spaces for myself to keep me safe through this odyssey of the evening or, or through this journey. And so I, I think Dave has taught me kind of even that ability of like creating a comfortable environment or comfortable space uh, for those points where, you know, those difficult emotions arise. Um, I think the other kind of thing that we talk about a lot and, and that's kind of one of the, the staples of self-compassion 
is that thing of just being curious of kind of difficult emotions that come up that that idea of naming your difficult emotions allowing them to pass by and to be okay with the fact that there will be times where you are in a tremendous amount of pain that doesn't have to be you questioning your goodness your entire path over the past 10 years the the this or that it, it's I feel like so much of life is much more active than we talk about so often in terms of like what it takes to get from point A to point B to to get groceries to go to a friend's one-year-old's birthday party like it's a lot of emotional yeah. labor like work to to kind of ground yourself and and to make that space and so we say with the classroom of compassion is it's like the art of making intentional space for another. And so in self-compassion, it's how do you extend that art form to yourself? And then for others, how do you extend it outward in some way? And now you all are really like embracing the real classroom element of it and you're working with young people, right? Yes. So how's the children. (laughs) The the literal children. So how's that been? Uh, it's it's probably been one of the most rewarding aspects of um, this project that we've been on. Um, it's funny because where the workshop aspect started was really back at our old high school. Um, we went back for um, was it two for the one year anniversary. Yeah, we went we went back to our high school for the one year anniversary um, of the Parkland shooting, oh. and what we did there was we had a whole month long curriculum after school curriculum where we split up the participants of our workshop and gave everyone one of like the single the single desks that you would have like in high school um and it was everyone's intention to study and consume as much of that person's life as possible and manifest it and create a desk representative of what their lives meant to them um and then we had this big on Valentine's Day, um, had this big uh, exhibition in their cafeteria. The entire high school came through. And it was a really, really, I think that space probably I go back to the most um, just because you're seeing so many really, really vulnerable young minds. um, And they were processing the experience incredibly public. You had Mm -hmm. people just surrounding like these desks just crying with their friend group and it was really it was a really compassionate space to be in and it was really inspiring to be around dave you mentioned being a queer person of color i assume that some of the work you all are doing too speaks directly to you know like your own experience and communities that you have an even closer relationship to being affected what's that work like for you as a queer person of color, I feel like sometimes the most radical thing is just show up for people wholeheartedly um, beyond religion, beyond borders, beyond political affiliation. One of the projects that we dedicated some of our time to this year was we went to some of the border towns of Texas. Um, and as a first generation Guatemalan American, um, both of my parents, 
you know, took the route that so many are now, it's almost like a now holding in shame um, over. So my parents' immigration story, you know, my, my father came to the States first, um, tried to establish some sort of, uh, some sort of base for my, my mom and my, at that time, older brother who was three to settle into. My mom at the border, when she came with my little brother, was detained um, and was actually separated from my older brother, uh, who was a toddler. And I think for about two days, she navigated the space of not knowing if she would ever see him again, what would happen. Um, and we were fortunate enough to, or she was fortunate enough to have the support of the people that she was coming from Guatemala with, saw that, you know, she was detained. My little brother went through. Um, so it wasn't until like three days afterwards that they reunited at a safe house. My mom not knowing what was going to happen. She actually had to go back to, I'm not sure what part of Mexico, to then have to recross the border. So this year we went to McAllen, Texas, which has a incredible and thriving immigrant population. Um, but is also one of the, it houses one of the bus stations, which they now call the new Ellis Island, which a lot of people, when they're released from ICE, just get dropped off at that bus station. And from there, they have to figure out what to do. They, they're they in a completely new city. We worked with a charity that really works to restore the dignity of uh, the immigrant population in that city. Um, and... While there, it was really powerful to see such thriving familial bonds, um, and it was such a such a juxtaposition to the the kind of anger, the the fear, the everything that were were, were fed in the news, and to be at this, uh, we were at this respite center, which is often. Uh, the first place they get a clean uh, clean change of clothes is the first place they get a, a warm meal. First place they get, you know, a shower. This is the first place they get a good night's sleep. Um, and to just see so many of the families there and that experience and be able to see my family uh, reflected back to me. I, it was, I wish I lived in that town. I wish I can continue to give and give and give. And I think with, I hope you know how loved you are. I really want to take the struggle of my family, my family's immigration story, and really use that as, you know, a teaching tool of, uh, of strength, of resiliency, of, you know, I, I, I feel like for the longest time, it was my biggest weight that I carried around with me. I felt like it was the first thing that people saw about me and it created my own shame story. Um, and now to be able to to be able to show up for you know my own people has been really really powerful. Uh, I mean, you guys are angels, <laughs> like legit. I'm just so amazed at the work you all do and how you're showing up for your communities um, and at the intersection of the different communities that you represent. But you're honestly ultimately here like to represent the human community and you're showing up i feel like in areas and in environments that may not even feel ultimately like on the surface welcoming to you 
but you're still there and showing up. Yes. And, and, and I think that's been the, the biggest part of our practice. And I remember we had kind of this really powerful reckoning moment at a music festival. Because mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're those girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are. I've, yeah, I've like, seen your Insta stories. We're, we're just, for us, like, I think for me, I'm like, I've never been religious but I could tell you like the ways that like Madonna, Cher, Gaga, uh, Beyonce, like these people have led to these these profound breakthroughs, but they've also held the space for us when we've been navigating through these things. And then they accompany us on the soundtrack uh, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Um, each of these experiences and help us feel safe in environments that may feel unsafe. We had this really profound experience on that festival ground, waiting in between performers, getting as many freebies as we could from the CW booth and all the teeny bopper kind of outlets that came out there, trying all the foods, all the vendors. Um, And I remember in that moment, we were like lying on the grass and we kind of looked up. And it was like this moment after like several years of like a very turbulent journey for us and our families. It was one of those grounded moments of like, I remember looking up at the blue sky, uh, seeing uh, that light shooting out of Luxor and like literally seeing the most beautiful uh, sunset reflecting off of Mandalay Bay. And I remember in that moment, we're like, we're gonna be okay. Like we, we said it lying in that grass, like we're gonna be okay. We're gonna continue on. And a week later, in that same festival space is uh, where the Route 91 festival was taking place. And it was one of those things where the the shooter had originally been targeting the Lord set the week prior. And I remember the beauty that we felt in that concert moment, in that space, the freedom to heal, the that restorative energy that comes from a whole community coming together at a show. And I remember feeling so robbed in that moment. But then my first thought is that robbery is like, for me, pales in comparison to the people that are waking up knowing that they've lost loved ones. Um, And it was this lesson for Dave and I where we went back a year later and created one of all our altars for that community and honored the lives there. And it was a reminder that came for us from concerts. Like, it doesn't matter what you're listening to. It doesn't, like, we're all coming together seeking the same forms of, like, joy or validation or the, these emotions. May I May I add something? A yeah. quick uh, oh. a, 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 a quick observation of, like, uh, being able, having the privilege to be able to to travel to these communities and have them be so different from like McAllen, Texas, to uh, Sandy Hook in in Connecticut, um, to our backyards in Thousand Oaks, um, with these communities that were really still going through the midst of their trauma, their trauma all spoke the same language, and it really was just asking to be seen, to be acknowledged, and and to feel that sense of community building back up. Um, I think so often these things happen and 
either the families, the communities, as, as soon as that new cycle is done, have to navigate these new spaces by themselves. Um, and really just providing compassion as a public service is, is, is it. <laughs> well, that's the spiritual work, right? I mean, yeah. and that's where the spirituality comes into it, is that you are just showing up for that and being present for this service that you've been, you have felt called to, and you're utilizing your guys' gorgeous artistic gifts that were already in place to to do it. And I think it's really phenomenal. And it's really teaching too. I think for everybody that like you look into the world for where you see a hole and then you use your unique gifts to fill it. Yep. And it doesn't have to be that complicated. Like you already have what you need because that's what you guys did. Well, thank you guys. And honestly, like I just want to mirror back to you. Like I hope you both know how loved you are and how much love you deserve to receive. So I truly hope that through this processes for yourselves, that you are able to receive the amount of love that you are putting out into the world because it wants to mirror itself back to you. So please make sure when you are wearing your shirts and everyone listening should go and get a shirt and, and, uh, and, and have it that, so that you can also see the message mirrored back to yourselves. So thank you guys so much for the work you do and for sharing it and for sharing this time with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we love you boys. Thank you so much. Yeah. I love you both. And thank you so much for, for having us. And shout out to Chelsea and shout out to <laughs> <Yeah>. Noche. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right, well. Yeah, so I'm going to let the boys pick a card. So I'm just getting the cards in order here. So we're going to have two cards today? We are, huh? I think we have no choice. Yeah. Okay, so gazers, go ahead and just take a moment and tune in while I shuffle the cards. And if you have a question or you're needing some clarity in a certain realm of your life, you can just meditate on that. The cards do what we ask them to do. So as I shuffle them, take a moment and ask the cards to do what you need them to do. And this message will resonate no matter the future place or time to which you listen to this episode. All right, I'm going to go spread the cards out for Noah and Dave to each pick one. So there are two cards, and we'll speak about them individually, and then we'll bring them together. Um, so Noah picked the King of Swords, and the King of Swords is the great teacher of the deck, the great orator, the speaker, the writer. And so I think what's important whenever anybody pulls the King of Swords is to remember that like you are an authority on your life. And based on that, you are now ready to teach the truth of your life. And even if you don't feel like an authority, and even if you don't feel like you're ready, when the King of Swords shows up, you are. So that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to stand in front of a room full of people. You can sit down and write your life story and you can speak it in that way. But the King of Swords is a master of words and sharing those words to communicate the truth of their experience to others. And so everybody, as we move into this next chunk of time, make sure that you're really speaking your story out loud so that others can be educated by it. You never know what hidden gems or teachings are woven through your life for other people. So just start to speak it into into reality and share it, even though it feels vulnerable. 
And then Dave pulled the five of wands. And the five of wands is really about shaking the energy up. It's really about circulating the energy of your life and of your body in a new way so that it can find a freer, easier pathway. And the other message about the five of wands too that I always like to communicate is it sometimes shows up when we are starting to lean into a very human tendency to compare ourselves to other people. But we know that there's no value in comparison and that every human life blooms at its own time and in its own way. And so I would just encourage everybody listening to make sure that you are just like staying in your own lane and focusing on the cultivation of your own soul and to not compare that to anybody else. And I think when we look at these two cards together, what we're really learning or like being taught, and I think Dave and Noah, you guys have done such an example here today, is that like every life is going to unfold in its own way. And that is the teaching And that if you can just allow and hold space for your own life to unfold in the way that it wants to, it will deliver you somewhere of tremendous beauty. And that sometimes we shake up our energy by telling our story so that it A, no longer has as much power as we think it does in our own heads, but that we also get another point of view from it. I think that's the conversation these two cards are having with each other. And I think that's also what's so amazing about the two of you being in relationship for as long as you have, is that you each get to mirror back to each other, okay, well, that's the story you're telling yourself, but like, that's not the story we're here, like we're seeing out here, okay? And vice versa. So remember that like swords are stories and if they're not serving you, then you just tell a new story and maybe you need to tell your story so somebody else can help you retell it in a different way. That was beautiful. Thanks, baby. Yeah. And thank you guys for inspiring (laughs) that message. Um, All right, so... If people want to find you all, what's the best way to do so? Well, we have our website, which is classroomofcompassion.com. And then we're on uh, Facebook and Instagram at, at Classroom of Compassion. Yeah, I think Instagram is like always <laughs> like it because we got those cute photos and mm-hmm. some flowers. So uh, at Classroom of Compassion on, on Instagram. Um, and then on our site, we have our, our shirts for sale and things along that sort. And they're both wearing them, and they are real cute. I'm buying mine immediately. Me too, man. So get on there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, perfect time for the holidays. All right, y'all. Well, as always, thank you so much uh, to all of our gazers out there for taking the time to listen and for being a part of this community. We appreciate you all so, so much. And thank you to Justin Simeon for the interstitial music. And again, just like a big thank you to both these beautiful boys for coming into the spirit room and sharing their vulnerability and their light. Y'all have no idea how much this means to us. So thank you. Thank you both. Until next time, this has been your transit through the spiritual gaze. Gorgeous.